Welcome to See Me Church. My name's Joe Collins, and I uh, really appreciate you being with us today. Last week, we heard from uh, one of the newest appointed elders in our family of churches. He's actually a brother up in the Santa Clarita Church. His name was Colin Lee. He did a great job uh, reminding us always to be learning. Today, though, we're going to go back to our series on Jeremiah, the branch of an almond tree, and we're going to talk about urgency. Now, I have two questions for you. And I apologize for those of you that I may alienate by these questions. I don't want to alienate anyone, but these questions are very specific to a group of people who lived in the LA area in the 1980s. Now, I don't know, but, I'm, I'm, but, but what we're going to be talking about is a commercial. I want to know if you remember a commercial. I believe it was only locally ran. That's why it's only related to people who grew up who were here in the 80s. But in the early 80s, there was a commercial, and I don't want you to say anything else, just yes or no. And it ended with this phrase, and I want you to tell me if you remember it. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Who remembers that commercial from the 80s? Oh, wow, only like four of us. Wow, I thought more people would remember it, but that's okay. So there was a commercial, ran in L.A. in the early 80s, and it ended with this phrase, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. So here's the second question for those that raised your hand. Do you remember what the commercial was for? Myra? (laughs) For the life of me, I could not remember what the commercial was for, and so I found it online. Forgive the quality, it's probably recorded off a VHS or something, I don't know, but here is the commercial, and I'm taking you back to 1982 here in Los Angeles. So let's go and we'll watch the commercial. It was for Control Data Institute. This was before computers were everywhere. It was when computers were just getting off the ground. I remember the commercial probably for a couple of reasons. One is it ran every day, all the time, right about the time I got out of high school and had nothing to do after high school. Right around the time Rockford Files and Quincy came on, if you remember those shows, it was ran in that time frame. In that segment, I'm sorry to the kids, you completely don't get this, that's okay. But the other thing I remember about the commercial was that phrase, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And in a very real way, that commercial changed me, it affected me in my life. This idea that I shouldn't put off to tomorrow what I can and should do today got burnt into my psyche. And that is a quality that has suited me well in my Christian life. Because there are times in every person's walk with God where urgency is needed. Today we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 4. We're going to finish out the chapter today. And I want to impress upon you, if nothing else, urgency. Don't wait for tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow to get right with God today. Now, 
I know it's a little warm. I know we haven't had the band, but I really want to invite you to be vocal during this sermon. I want it to be fun. Jeremiah is a challenging book to teach. The message is a bit repetitive, and it's a bit doom and gloom, but we can make it a lot more fun if we engage with God, with His Word, and with His presence today, and we we vocalize when we hear something we like. So it's okay if something is said in the sermon today or something read in a passage, and you like it, and it resonates with you. It's okay for you to say, Amen. Let's try that together. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. Amen. One more time. Amen. Amen. You could even say, preach it, bro. That's okay. You could even say, hallelujah. I mean, I really, I don't care. I guess just don't be too weird. We might hear that phrase tomorrow, 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 several times in the sermon today. That is by design. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pass that sense of urgency that I got way back in 1992, sitting at home, eating Captain Crunch, watching Quincy. I got that from that commercial, and I'm trying to give it to you. So let's practice that tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Okay? Are you with me? Let's say a prayer and we're going to jump into Jeremiah chapter four. Father, thank you for this amazing time to be together. Thank you for the kids leading us in worship. What a great couple of songs and what great singing together acapella as a church. It's so encouraging to come together and, and have variety in our worship. Thank you for everyone that serves and led us in that way. Thank you for a time to commune with you, to connect through the, and remember the cross and to connect with you in meditation and, and just sit and let you be in our presence. And I pray, God, that all of that comes together now to help us be really receptive to your word. Open our hearts up to hear the message that you've put, that you have put out there for us to hear today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to start Jeremiah chapter four, um, chapter four, verse five. Announce in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, sound the trumpet throughout the land. Cry aloud and say, gather together. Let us flee to the fortified cities. Raise the signal to go to Zion. Flee for safety without delay, for I am bringing disaster from the north, even terrible destruction. A lion has come out of his lair. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has left his place to lay waste to your land. Your towns will lie in ruins without inhabitants. So put on sackcloth, lament, and wail. For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned away from us. In that day, declares the Lord, the king and officials will lose heart. The priests will be horrified. The prophets will be appalled. Then I said, alas, sovereign Lord, how completely you have deceived this people and Jerusalem by saying, you will have peace when the sword is at our throats. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. His message was to preach judgment and repentance to the people of Israel, especially those who were living in the, the, in the nation known as Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And few were interested in Jeremiah's message. We've learned over the past several lessons that there were a number of reasons why. One of the reasons was negligence. People stopped asking, where is the Lord? People stopped looking to the scriptures. If you can believe it, the actual scrolls, the actual Bible at the time got lost and forgotten about 
for a period. That's how far away the people, the leaders, even the priests got from asking, where is the Lord? There was dissatisfaction with old time religion. People began to dig their own cisterns. In other words, they began to rely on their own devices to meet their spiritual needs. People became rebellious and they embraced idolatry, completely foreign beliefs and philosophies. And the people were insincere about their faith. They were more afraid of the consequences of the fallout of their sin than they were of sin itself. They were not afraid of the corrupting nature of sin. So for these reasons and many others, God was bringing judgment on the land. And yet they refused to repent. Which brings me to a very confusing statement in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 10. Then I said, alas, sovereign Lord, how completely you have deceived this people and Jerusalem by saying, you will have peace when the sword is at our throats. That is confusing to me. Isn't Jeremiah this whole time been preaching judgment was coming? And now he's saying, no, 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 God, you're misleading everyone. You've told me to preach doom and gloom, or, or wait, or did you tell me to preach peace? I'm confused. What in the world is Jeremiah talking about here? He seems to be contradicting his own message. All up to this time, all the way before this time, he had been preaching, judgment's coming, repent. But now he seems to be indicating that God is deceiving the people by telling them peace, peace. What is going on? To be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> you got to realize something. Jeremiah was written 3,500 years ago, a completely different time, a completely different place, and not every question in the Bible can get answered satisfactorily. That's something I've grown to be okay with. It's actually something I love about the Bible, that it doesn't necessarily tie a bow on every statement made in the passages or in the teaching. It leaves some room for mystery and for some wondering and for some examining of the passage. I don't know about you, but when I read that, it forced me to reread the passage over and over and over because I'm so confused by this statement. Like I said, I may not never know exactly what Jeremiah means or what he was trying to say, but I have some ideas. In my, in my digging into the passage, in my desire to understand it, it led me to reading books and commentaries and trying to understand what, what might have Jeremiah meant here in this seemingly contradiction, in this seeming contradiction. So I have some possibilities. The first one is that Jeremiah was a creature of his time and culture. As I said, he existed, he lived in the, what we call the ancient Near East, some 35 hundred years ago. And one thing that's unique about ancient Near East cultures is that they rarely attributed things to what we call secondary causes. They almost always attributed events, good or bad, to a primary cause, which would be God. 
They had a strong belief that God is sovereign. And if you spend time and meditate on that word sovereign, it leads you to the conclusion that everything that happens, good or bad, happens because God caused it. Is it possible that what we're just getting a glimpse of here is just Jeremiah's time and place, the culture that he existed in? This is just how they viewed things. Good or bad, it all gets laid at the feet of God. Other people believe that what we see here is a glimpse into how Jeremiah feels. Jeremiah may have been leaking out his feelings about what was going on in Jerusalem at the time. Maybe it was Jeremiah that was upset and felt like God was misleading the people. Why might he feel that way? Well, golly, he preached for 40 years and no one listened. I mean, at some point you kind of go, God, this is your fault. You're doing this. I mean, he's trying to push rope. He's trying to herd cats here. He can't get anything done in any successful way. And maybe what we see is a little bit of his own feelings spill out. And hey, we can forgive him, can't we? I mean, the poor guy had to preach doom and gloom for 40 years and no one repented. Give him a break, right? Other people say that actually there's some piece of the text is actually missing. As a matter of fact, there are some ancient manuscripts of this passage that have an additional phrase added to them. Not all the ancient texts do, but some do. And the phrase is, they will say. So verse 10 would actually read, then they will say, alas, sovereign Lord, how completely you've deceived this people in Jerusalem by saying you'll have peace when the sword is at our throat. It's possible that there were other prophets in Jeremiah's day, false prophets, who were peddling an alternative narrative to Jeremiah's prophecy. And maybe Jeremiah was referring to those. The truth is, I don't know that we'll ever really know what is meant exactly by this statement. But there's one thing I do know. God does not lie. We live, thank you, good point, amen, way to, way to take the direction. God does not lie. We live in a world that has neglected spiritual truth. It's dissatisfied with traditional religion. It's openly rebellious towards God. And people are more afraid of the judgment of other people than they are of God. But the truth is, Judgment is still coming to this world. Not like it was to Judah. In Judah's day, it was Babylon. They were going to come. They were going to invade and Judah was going to get destroyed. I'm not talking about Canada or some other country invading America. I'm talking about judgment day. There is a judgment day and it is coming. And God does not lie about that truth. Some of us live as if there's no consequence or no judgment that's coming. We have people all around us that are like that. Maybe some of us in this room, sometimes we fall into that deception. Let me remind you, please, God is not lying. Judgment will come. There is a day when every person will stand before God and give an account for every thought, word, and deed. If there ever is a time when we need to hold on to the truth that God does not lie, 
It's today, not I'm going to burn this commercial into your psyche. You're going to feel like you lived in 1982 before this sermon is over. Not tomorrow. Verse, seven, verse 11. At that time, this people in Jerusalem will be told, a scorching wind from the barren heights in the desert blows towards my people, but not to win or cleanse. A wind too strong for that comes from me. Now I pronounce my judgments against them. Look, he advances like the clouds. His chariots come like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, we are ruined. Jerusalem, wash the evil from your heart and be saved. How long will you harbor wicked thoughts? A voice is announcing from Dan, proclaiming disaster from the hills of Ephraim. Tell this to the nations. Proclaim concerning Jerusalem. A besieging army is coming from a distant land, raising a war cry against the cities of Judah. They surround her like men guarding a field because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. Your own conduct and actions have brought this on you. This is your punishment. How bitter it is, how it pierces to the heart. Jeremiah is describing this judgment of God as a scorching wind and a besieging army that no one can resist. Yet in verse 14, he tells Jerusalem, wash the evil from your heart and be saved. Judgment is coming, but there is salvation available to those who will wash the evil from their heart, no matter what it may take or how intense, what form it may take or how intense God's judgment may be, there is always an opportunity to repent. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Recently, my wife and I had a great little getaway to Las Vegas. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> it was just the two of us, it was romantic. It was amazing. I was super excited about getting a few days away with nothing to do, no agenda, just go. But during the three-hour drive to Vegas, my wife and I started talking, as happens. And I discovered that there were some things in her heart about me that if I hadn't addressed would not make the trip to Vegas all that awesome. You follow me? And so it was very important for me to listen carefully to my wife. Amen. Thank you for that. Yes. To make amends to my wife and to do it promptly. And I'm proud to say that I was able to do all of that in the three hours that it took to drive to Las Vegas. Thank you. Thank you. And so we had a great time at our little getaway in Las Vegas. You know, God's message to Judah may have been difficult and it was hard to hear, but had they listened carefully and made amends promptly and washed the evil from their hearts, they too could have been forgiven and enjoyed many more years in the land. And Jeremiah would not be called the weeping prophet. He'd be called the, the Vegas prophet or the celebrating prophet, whatever you want. He'd be the happy prophet. But they didn't, so he wasn't. God wants to bless you more than he wants to punish you. 
yet he can't. As a matter of fact, he won't do it when there's evil unaddressed in your heart. But there's good news. It doesn't have to take a long time to repent. All you need to do is admit that you are a sinner. Do it today. Don't wait for... Don't wait for tomorrow. The time is now. Verse 19, oh, my anguish, my anguish. I writhe in pain. Oh, the agony of my heart. My heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silent, for I have heard the sound of the trumpet. I have heard the battle cry. Disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruins. In an instant, my tents are destroyed. My shelter in a moment. How long must I see the battle standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? My people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. I looked at the earth and it was formless and empty and at the heavens and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains and they were quaking. All the hills were swaying. I looked and there was no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked and the fruitful land was a desert. Its towns lay in ruins before the Lord. His fierce anger. One of the cool things about Jeremiah is that it's pretty autobiographical. In other words, Jeremiah includes a lot of his own thoughts mixed into many of the prophecies that God put on his heart. And this is an example, most scholars believe, and I think it's clear from the text, this is Jeremiah's voice, not God's voice. This is Jeremiah sort of going off point, off subject, off of the sermon, and he's over here, and he's now on his soapbox, and he's telling people what he thinks. And in this section, it is clear that he is feeling anguish and despair over the coming judgment. He's feeling so strongly that he can't even suppress any sympathy for himself, but also for the people he's denouncing. Jeremiah loved Judah. They were his people. And even though in verse 22 he calls them fools and senseless children, it's not because he thought he was better than them. One of the greatest things we can do for the people in our lives who foolishly and senselessly do not love God is not to judge them but to love them. That's why every Sunday, I make it a point for someone to say at some point in our worship time, our mission is to love God and love people. Because it's so easy to judge and not love. I'm going to ask you a question and feel free to just Shout and answer out if you have one. What does it take for you to love people and not judge them? What hits you? Selfless. Compassion, selflessness, Listening. listening. Humility. Humility. Empathy. 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 Forgiveness. We could go on and on, and they're all very, very good reasons. They're all very important. For me, it's intentionality. I actually have to make my mind up to do it. Not that I'm so awesome, 
But sometimes there's just those people that are just hard to want to love. And I have to decide intentionally to love them. Two years ago, I made it, I wrote on paper a list of the names of people that I believed God supernaturally and strategically put in my life. I wrote their names down. Since then, I have intentionally prayed for them, invested in them, invited them to church, and tried to prepare myself to be Christ's ambassador to them. No one is making me do it. No one is even holding me accountable to it. I just do it. Because two years ago, I made a decision to love those people intentionally. Whatever your reasons, there is no better day than today to stop judging people and start loving them. Do not wait for... It's okay to say. It's okay. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Let's try it. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Verse 27. This is what the Lord says. The whole land will be ruined, though I will not destroy it completely. Therefore, the earth will mourn and the heavens above will grow dark because I have spoken and will not relent. I have decided and will not turn back. At the sound of horsemen and archers, every town takes flight. Some go into the thicket, some climb among the rocks. All the towns are deserted. No one lives in them. What are you doing? You devastated one. Why dress yourself in scarlet and put on jewels of gold? Why highlight your eyes with makeup? You adorn yourself in vain. Your lovers despise you. They want to kill you. I hear a cry as of a woman in labor, a groan as of one bearing her first child. The, the cry of the daughter of Zion, gasping for breath, stretching out her hands and saying, alas, I am fainting. My life is given over to murderers. Jeremiah's talking about here the relationship of the people with these foreign nations and their gods. And he's trying to tell them that these are not, pe- these are not gods that love you like God loves you. The interesting thing here is this is no longer Jeremiah's voice. We've switched back to the message of God. And so he's continuing this theme of, hey, there's a judgment coming. I want to remind you that everything Jeremiah is saying up to this point is prophetic. These events were still 20 or 30 years in the future. That's pretty incredible that Jeremiah was preaching this message at a time in Judah when there was a good king and there were reforms being made and there was a lot of good things happening. Yet here's Jeremiah against the current, swimming against the current, telling people it's not enough. You know, we talked about some of the sins that the people of Israel were struggling with. And one of them was insincerity. And that's perhaps why God kept this message in Jeremiah's mouth at this time. With all the good that was happening, there wasn't a lot of real sincerity in the hearts of the people. Are you sincere? Is it something in your heart? It's, it's, it's a decision of your own will to want to be right with God. If that's not present, you can do all the outside acts. You can do all the things outwardly. But if the heart is not there, it's for not. We had our ABC class this morning, our first class.
class and it went great. We have a number of people there and we had a great discussion. And one of the things we pointed out was that repentance is not about action. It's about thought. In other words, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior, not the other way around. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a time to sort of discipline yourself and and have some self-control in a certain area, but that even that really begins with a desire to change in the first place. And that's what I think was going on with Judah at this time. With all the good that was happening, there wasn't really the change of mind. So it wasn't spilling out into the people's hearts. And so Jeremiah was forced to keep preaching this message, even though it was some 20 or 30 years in the future when it would finally take place. All of this terrible sounding words, horsemen and archers and and, uh, people despise you and they want to kill you and the land coming to ruin. All of that is actually 20 years in the future. You know, when it comes to escaping the judgment of God, there is never a better time than today. If you or someone you know is not right with God, Judgment may not be imminent, but it is inevitable. If you've learned nothing else, I hope you've learned that there's no better day than today to get right with God. So let's be urgent and not wait for... Amen. Really appreciate you being here with us today. We're going to close out in just a minute with a word of prayer. But I want to invite you to come back. Maybe consider joining the ABC class. If you'd like to know more about what it means to get right with God, that's a great place to start. We do it the first Sunday of each month for the next two months. If you're not quite ready for that, please keep coming and worship with us. We love to have you. FYI, next week, we've got a guest speaker, a dear friend of mine. I know you guys love him too, but Reese Nealon is coming in to preach to us. Another great uh, brother from our church in, in uh, the central part of Los Angeles, but he's coming out and I know he's going to do a great job. We're going to stand at this time. We're going to close out with a word of prayer and you will be dismissed.